So my prayer is this morning that the Holy Spirit can direct and that it can guide the message this morning, that it can be a benefit, it can be a challenge to you, an encouragement to you. The title of the message this morning is God's Community. You, in some ways, inspired me about this message uh, Wednesday night, a week, week and a half ago, when we were sitting here discussing the church. And there was a subject that kept coming up in that discussion. It was, a, it was the subject of love and how vital love is in the church. And so I wanted to just lay that out there at the beginning. Um, because I think, it's, I think it's important to this idea of what we're talking about this morning. So in Genesis chapter 1, God says some things about the creation of, of humans. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And then moving to chapter 2, verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So God created, when He created the earth, and the things in it. He created living things. And He created a living community. You see, where there is life, there is relationship. And we have relationships with things, with other living things that are not human. And God talks about that in these verses. He talks about us having dominion over those things, but also there's a relationship there. And... You know, our level of interaction is different. Um, we have had several pet dogs over the years. And I've often thought about, especially when they were puppies, how much easier it would be to have a robotic pet. Because a robotic puppy would not dig in my flower beds, or Dana's flower beds. A robotic pet would go where I wanted it to, it would fetch the ball when I wanted it to, it would bring it back just like I wanted it to. But there's something about that living relationship that you have that can't be measured with a robotic piece of equipment. It's just different. A community is a social unit with commonality such as norms, religion, values, customs, or identity. But you see, we were made special in that creation. And that specialness was that we were made as part of a community with God. We bear His image. We have an identity with Him in bearing His image. 
We're a special part of His creation to Him. And He sees us in a special way. I want to pick back up on this idea of the connection between life and relationship a little bit later. And I want to move on. Further down in Genesis chapter 2 it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make and help meet for him. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, now jump to verse 22 from verse 18, And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made a woman, and brought her unto the man. And God said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So, we often think about this as God's institution of marriage. And it was an institution of marriage. But when God said, it is not good for man to be alone, He was speaking about something that was more than marriage. He was talking about a human community. And marriage was the foundation of that human community. So God's design, God said it was not good for man to be alone. He wanted man to have that human community that he could live with and interact with. And then marriage was the place where children would be born and children would be raised and children would be taught how to relate to community. And as they were taught how to relate to community, then they would go out into the community and the way that they related to other people would be the way that that community was established and the quality of that community. That was part of God's design in creation. Now I'd like to talk a little bit about self-destruction. The human tendency to be selfish destroys community. After Adam and Eve sinned, Adam must have forgotten that she was bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. Because when God came to him and approached him about his sin, he said, it's not my fault, God, it's hers. And he, he distanced himself. His selfish nature, in his selfish nature, he distanced himself from Eve. And that's the opposite of what community is. Community is not the distancing of ourselves, but the drawing together of who we are. And selfish nature destroys community. 1 Corinthians 15.22 says, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. In Adam, human communities died. Now I want to think for just a little bit about the difference between a dead body and a living body. A dead body is moved by external force. A living body is moved by internal force. So a dead community is a community that has to be coerced or forced to cooperate in a certain way. There has to be some kind of external pressures that bring together the actions of the community. So as we think about as we think about human communities 
down through the history of man. Communities have always operated with some form of government, some form of external government that controlled or at least organized the behavior of that community. And religions outside of the original Christian model also worked in coordination with government force. In Adam, true community died. Now you can still see glimpses of the image of God in humanity. It's not that the image of God is totally gone, but rather that what God created to be good and to, be, to draw together and to meet needs and to even express Himself in a more complete way is dead because there's a lack of internal life that God initially placed in humanity to give direction and strength to the human community. Now I want to move on a little bit and talk about God's desire for community. So in Genesis chapter 12, God called Abraham. God called Abraham not just for Abraham's sake, but rather to do something. Here's what he says. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, into a land that I will shew thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And so in these verses, God calls Abraham out of his physical family, out of his physical place, and he says, I'm going to make a nation of you. He calls him from a physical thing to a spiritual thing. I'm going to, through you, all the nations of the earth, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So to establish a spiritual family, to establish a community. It wasn't just about getting Abraham out. It was about God starting a community of people who would be His special people. Now, I, don't, I can't spend much time on this, but I just want to think now about something. As I've been reading through the Gospels, I'm reading through the gospel, all the Gospels, and I'm most of the way through Luke right now, and I've noticed specifically Jesus' call that his, his call to us is a call that is above and beyond our physical family. God is calling us to have a, a direct and close relationship with Him, a spiritual relationship with him, him that supersedes the physical relationships that we have, the physical family that we have. The, maybe I should say the physical family that we were born with. Similar to the call of Abraham. So Abraham had Isaac. Isaac was his son. Jacob was his son. And Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And out of Israel were God's chosen people. 
And this is what it says about Israel in Exodus 19.3. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob and to the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did to the, unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. So God is, is extending and initiating a covenant. He is saying, I want to make a covenant with you. I want to have a commitment with you that you will be my special people and you will follow my laws and you will be the community that I created you to be when you follow my laws. And the people said, everything that you've said, we will do. But God goes on to say in Deuteronomy 31 that while, it, while the law and, and the people of Israel expressed His desire, it didn't fulfill it, or it wouldn't fulfill it. And in Deuteronomy 31, 16, it says this, And the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, and this people will rise up and go a-whoring after the gods of the strange lands, whither they go to be among them, and will forsake me and break my covenant which I have made with them. So God is predicting before they ever even enter the land of Canaan, He's saying that even though we've set this up and we've agreed to this covenant, the people are going to break this covenant with me. Daniel 9, verse 9, says from, Daniel says from the land of, or from the city of Babylon where the children of Israel were carried away, to the Lord our God belong mercies and forgiveness. Though we have rebelled against Him, neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in His laws, which He, which he set before us by His servants, the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed Thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey Thy voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us, and the oath which is written in the law of Moses, a servant of God, because we have sinned against Him. And so Daniel is saying now after the fact, after Israel walked away from God, after they experienced the consequences of that, and their, their nation, their people, their community was, was destroyed, he said, it's because we didn't keep the covenant. It's because we didn't keep our commitment with God. It's because we didn't do what He asked us to do. The New Testament tells us why it wasn't successful. In Romans 8, verse 3, it says that what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. It only had the strength of man to fulfill it. And we can't follow God's law on our own. We can't do it through the flesh. God's original community was not created to operate on the strength of its own will, on the strength of its own character. I want to move on now to the church, God's community. It's a quotation in Hebrews from Jeremiah 31, 
31 through 34. I'm going to read it from Hebrews. It's almost a direct quote. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, where I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least to the greatest. So God's saying, I'm going to make a new covenant. Even while the old covenant was there, He said, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Notice that the covenant was to a collective group. It was to the house of Israel. There was also individually, all shall know me. All the indivi each individual will know me, but the covenant is to the community, the house of Israel, the group of people, my people, my special people. And so the, the knowing of God is inseparable from the knowing of His people. The collected body of people who are God's community. That community is a living community. It says that God's law will be written on the heart and on the mind of the people who are part of His community. What is the life of God? What do we need to experience life from God? John 20, verse 20. This is Jesus speaking. When He had said this, He showed them His hands and His side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As my Father has sent me, I also send you. And when He had said this, He breathed on them and said to them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. You see, God wanted to breathe life into us. He needed to breathe life into us so that we could have what we needed to have a living community. And without that breathed life, after that, without that life in us, we could never have the kind of community that God wanted us to have. But where that life is, that community will be. The Holy Spirit will produce a living community. And there's evidence of that in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. It says, Then they that gladly received His word were baptized, and the same day there were added to them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common. And sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continue, and they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Now these things were not particularly commands that they were following. 
These things were things that were happening as a result of a life that they had experienced within. So what was happening? Well, they were living by the same precepts, by the same teachings. They were fellowshipping together. They were spending time together. They were praying together. And they were meeting each other's needs as a result of this life that was in them. But one of the things that really hit me in this passage was that they had singleness of heart. They had one goal. The Spirit gives us life. God's Spirit gives us life. And the fruit of that Spirit is self-sacrificing love. And that's a relational motivation. That's a motivation that comes up from within us to, to draw people together, to bring people together, to bring the community of the church together. By love, serve one another. Galatians 5.13 For brethren, ye have been called into liberty. Only use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh. But by love, serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So it's telling us there that it's going to be through walking in the Spirit, walking by the life that God has given us, that we're going to be able to have this kind of love for one another. That we're going to be able to by love serve one another. In John 13, 34, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. What kind of love was that? That was a self-sacrificing love. Jesus sacrificed Himself for His disciples, for His followers, and for all the world. And then the next verse is, By this shall all men know that ye are My disciples, if ye have love one for another. And so Jesus connects this idea of how He loves His disciples to that being between us, that kind of love being between those who follow Him, His disciples, and it drawing them together in that drawing together, collective drawing together is going to express something that's going to show people that we are walking with Jesus, that we are following Him. And then collectively we demonstrate the image of God through being like Jesus. In Ephesians 4 it says, And He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So that's talking about the Spirit working, giving gifts into the body of believers. And, and then He talks, it says what the purpose is. For the perfecting of saints for the work of the ministry. Now if you're looking at a King James Bible, you'll see that there's a comma in between for the perfecting of saints for the work of ministry. But in most translations that comma isn't there. So it reads, for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry. So those gifts are given to people who are teachers, pastors, etc. so that it can equip the people who are part of the church, the members of the body, 
to do the work of ministry. So you are, you are to do ministry and you're to be equipped by the gifts that are given into the church. And then it goes on to say that the reason for that, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So each one of you as part of the body has a place to play in edifying the whole. Till we all come into the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God and to a perfect man and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. So I want to go back to verse 13 just a little bit and say that the idea is that we would be, that we would be matured and strengthened and grow in Christ and become more like Jesus, that, all of us, that that would be happening in all of us, and it would be happening through the collective body of the church, through the community, through God's community. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supply, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. And so it's only through the life of God that we can experience the understanding of what, who God is and what the community is that God wants should look like. So we enter, we enter into this covenant with the people of God voluntarily. The call of the gospel is a call to voluntarily follow Jesus. To be His disciple and to take up the cross voluntarily. It's not something that, is, is, that we're forced into. It's something that happens because of a, a change that happens within us. And it, then it flows out of us as a result of that change. So I want to talk just a little bit about where we are today and why. So I've talked about the community that God created, why that community fell apart, God's desire to have community, and then the community that God is creating through Jesus. And this is a little bit more specific to, I would say, our Anabaptist background. Our background as conservative people, conservative Christian people. And specifically here in America, I'm afraid that we have given in to spiritual laziness. And I'm really challenged by that personally in my own life. Part of that has been the fact that we have not faced any real tests for the past probably 50 years and maybe more. No significant pressures 
like many of God's people faced in the past. We've, had, we've gained material independence. And what I mean by that is that basically we don't need each other to survive like we used to. My grandparents needed each other, needed fellow people from the community to survive. We don't need that anymore. We operate pretty much independently. And I know that that's not true in an overarching sense. We do need other people to survive. But in many ways, we can have a sense of independence because we don't need other people to go out and get that paycheck. And we have that, we have that material independence, and because we have that material independence, we see ourselves or think of ourselves as independent of other people. Then more, I'd say, probably in the last 20 or 30 years, we've really started to have the opportunity, or maybe I shouldn't say the opportunity, but it's become very available to be socially independent. So we can have all kinds of virtual and uh, surface relationships very easily. And that happens, and, and it goes back further than that, but uh, I was listening to, to something recently, and they talked about how much train travel affected the community. Well, we're a long ways from train travel. But you see, the speed of train travel made it possible for me to interact with a much broader community. And so I interacted with this broad community, and I had a lot of surface relationships, but I didn't have the real deep relationships that I needed to really develop who I was as a person. And the electronic age has just made that easier. It's just made it a whole lot easier for us to have a whole lot of surface relationships that don't meet the deep needs that we have as, as people. And that has affected us as churches because we don't recognize how important the relationships that we have in the local body are, the relationships we have with one another here at, in our congregation. And we are in danger, I believe, of losing something that is vital to what it really means to be Christian. In our spiritual apathy, it's been easier to let someone else do the hard work of understanding the Scriptures as well. It's been very easy for us, and we have done way too much borrowing from other systems of thought. And especially, I would say, from Protestant theology. And that is swiftly eroding the living community that the early church and the early Anabaptists stood for through persecution. Now, I don't know if you agree with me about that, but I hope that this can be a challenge to us, as it has been to me, a challenge to all of us, to really think about what do I really believe and where did it come from? And now I want to talk about where to now. A third path. Not the path of secularism, 
Not the path of Christendom. There's a third path. And unless our generation goes back to the Word of God and pursues God and a, a relationship with Him with all of our heart, we will lose brotherhood. Unless we do that, we will lose brotherhood. Because if we become independent, if we allow ourselves to become independent, we will no longer be a brotherhood in our hearts. And I'm afraid we're already heading in that direction unless we seriously think about where we're going. You see, the real contention of the Reformers back in the 1500s was over what church should be. It wasn't really over baptism, even though baptism played a big role. It really wasn't over that. It was about what church should be. The Reformers wanted to reform the old Catholic church with the Bible, and the Radicals, who were the Anabaptists, wanted to build a new church from the Bible. So they wanted to take the Bible, and they wanted to build a new church. The early Anabaptists believed that the church was a loving, was a, the church was a love-motivated community that sprang out of a vital relationship with the living Word. They didn't believe it was just doing what was in this book. They believed that they were going to meet a person named Jesus Christ. And that was going to change the way they lived. And it was going to set them on a course of love that would bring them together with other people who also had that love in their hearts. And they were going to be a community of people who believed in God and we're going somewhere together. The early church demonstrated that kind of community. And my question to us is, is that our reality? Are we living the kind of thing that they demonstrated? There's two main issues that I would like to call us to consider, especially. One of them is the issue of salvation. What do you believe salvation is and what it means? And is what you believe what the Bible teaches? What God says it is? The other one is, what is the church? What do I believe the church is in relation to my spiritual life? And do I have a proper view of the church? And then my last question for you wrapping up is, what is my level of commitment to Christ? You see, Christ called His followers to leave their families and give everything over to Him. For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. The new covenant is a commitment to God and His people. Throughout the New Testament, we see salvation linked to becoming part of the family of God. If we love Christ, we will also love His bride with a self-sacrificing love. How much are you willing to sacrifice for Jesus? And how much are you willing to sacrifice for His bride? The church. And you know what? Digging into deep spiritual truth is hard work. It is. It is difficult to really dig into the Scriptures and seek to understand what God is saying. 
but it needs to happen in every generation. For real faith to happen, it needs to happen in every generation. For the church to demonstrate Christ to the world. Even so, in Christ shall all be made alive. If we offer people to come and join this body, will we be offering them something that is alive? Something that meets the deep longing within them to be restored into the image of God. 